This episode is brought to you by Accenture. A better you starts with better hydration. Accenture is on a mission to inspire people to do what matters most. Their proprietary ionization process transforms water from any source into ionized alkaline water, providing water that's 99.9% pure with a pH of 9.5 or higher. Essentia Overachieving H2O, the number one ionized alkaline water. Shop now. You're listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. With the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store. Hello and welcome to the Science Focus podcast. I'm Thomas Ling, staff writer at BBC Science Focus magazine. As the UK enters its 13th month of lockdown restrictions and home working, many surveys cite a slump in mental well-being and general productivity. But are there any scientifically backed ways we can maximise our motivation and prevent procrastination? Neuroscientist Dr Gabby Atulakita, author of the new book Why the F Can't I Change, is here to tell us all about it. Thank you very much for coming on the podcast today. Um, So firstly, could you give us an overview of what motivation actually is from a neurological perspective? Hi, great to be here. Well, um, it's not necessarily a very straightforward question, uh, as in when we talk about the brain perspective, we usually discuss brain regions, brain networks and brain chemistry. Now, for motivation, uh, there is multiple brain regions involved, but one in particular is called reward center of the brain, which consists of of two key areas, one called VTA, ventral tegmental area, and the other called nucleus accumbens, or NACC. So both areas, they, they register if something is kind of pleasant to us when we do certain activities, And VTA secretes the chemical called dopamine. Dopamine is called the molecule of pleasure, uh, reward, and, you know, anything that feels enjoyable to us, it feels that way because of dopamine. Now, people who have low levels of dopamine, no matter, which happens actually in depression, and some people are prone to have lower levels in general, no matter how pleasant things they're doing, they could be eating like the most delicious meal ever, they wouldn't feel any joy. They wouldn't feel any pleasure doing it. Now, different activities secrete different levels of dopamine. So the things, you know, which which kind of are uh, objectively enjoyable, such as our favorite food, time with our loved ones, or uh, hobbies we enjoy, they secrete high levels of, of dopamine. So for motivation, what we need to know is, is dopamine, ventral tegmental area, and nucleus accumbens. Okay. Um, Are some people more prone to getting these high levels of dopamine or high levels of motivation? And if someone suffers from low motivation, are there some genetic factors at play? Yes. So um, there is probably is both the genetic and environmental factors. So some people in general uh, might have higher levels of, of dopamine secreted in the brain, but it also those levels change based on what we do. So if we are constantly sort of stimulating that dopamine system, 
actually there is a phenomenon called um, dopamine uh, oversensitization, which basically reduces. So dopamine is, is a neurotransmitter which needs the other kind of molecule called the receptor on the neurons to join, to be, be, be active. So when we kind of stimulate the system too much, there is less and less receptors left. They kind of get, get taken away. So the same amount of dopamine will cause less pleasure. But imagine you're eating um, a bar of chocolate every day. And first time, if you, if you discover some really, really amazing chocolate and you eat that chocolate, it feels like, wow, this is amazing. Now, if, this, if you start eating it every day, it suddenly becomes less and less pleasant when you, you get used to it. So then suddenly you need actually either more of that chocolate or different kind of chocolate to elicit the same amount of pleasure. And, and, and that's kind of a tricky thing with dopamine. When we kind of do the same thing, especially if it becomes predictable, it gives less pleasure. Interestingly, well, there is some research showing that actually in order to secrete more dopamine, we need unpredicted rewards. So how, how could you use this um, unexpected rewards to boost your motivation? So I guess if you want to self-motivate, it's hard to come up with an unexpected surprise. You know, you, you know you're going to buy yourself that chocolate bar. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, first of all, um, some things naturally create a level of um, surprise. So when we work with other people, social situation naturally bring level of uncertainty, right? So when, when you have a meeting with somebody, they might praise you or they might tell you off or they might be neutral, you don't know. So those social situations and having contact with, with colleagues if possible, which, you know, during these times of lockdown, we probably all crave desperately, but trying to find the way to have the social collaboration or even with friends, if you're like working from home and really fed up, you know, having a Zoom call with your friends and working together, kind of still staying online, could increase levels of, of dopamine. Also, uh, creating sort of a bit, finding good balance between routine and variety. If, if everything is really predictable, you know exactly what you're doing at what time, uh, you, you will, you know, in, inevitably secrete less dopamine. But if you create an element of variety in that, so each day you do something differently, then it would actually secrete more dopamine, that activity. Also, if you, when you work, if you take the breaks and during the breaks, you do the activities which naturally secrete loads of dopamine for you, right? So it could be browsing the pictures of cats for some people. It could be doing, you know, some push-ups for other people. It could be listening to really kind of loud music and kind of dancing for other people. So having those breaks when you, you get, get that dopamine hit will actually spill over into your working time later on. So you'll be actually in a better state to do the work later on. So how often should you have a break, you know, looking at cat videos, exercising, or maybe at the same time? Uh, it varies depending on what time of the day it is and how your brain is feeling. But probably a good rule of thumb is to start with having at least one break an hour and a half. Every 90 minutes, taking 15-minute break. Now, for some people, an hour and a half is too long to do focused work. So they might work 45 minutes and take 5 to 10 minutes break. So depending on your own individual preference and style. 
Also, if we're going through challenging times emotionally, as a lot of people unfortunately are these days, then we need more frequent breaks. Then not more than 45 minutes of actually focus time, a break, 15 minutes break if you're feeling, you know, if you need some downtime and and, and get a bit of a dopamine and, and, and motivation, another 45 minutes, another break, and so on. As the day goes by, the brain actually gets more tired. And there is quite a few things that happen. We deplete neurotransmitters, which are necessary for us to focus, have willpower, and do productive work. So then it's actually we need to reduce the working times and increase the frequencies, frequency of the breaks as well. So it kind of depends. And also it kind of depends on what we do in those breaks. So some things like physical exercise or social time with, with, you know, even just talking to people on the phone online, help the brain to replenish quicker than if you are watching news in your breaks or if you're just kind of, you know, browsing, browsing social media. So again, it's it's quite um, circumstantial. Okay. Um, Just to give you a scenario then. So... What would you say to somebody who needs to write a huge report for work and it's really, really boring, it's really boring, and they just don't want to do it? How would you sort of help them motivate themselves there? Okay, well, firstly, I would suggest not to even get started until you see a point in doing it. Because it's going to be really unpleasant, you will accumulate resentment towards your work. So firstly, sit down, take a piece of paper and write, all the benefits of you getting this report done. For you personally, based on your individual value hierarchy, it could be, okay, once I get this done, I can go and play with my kids in the snow. Once I get this done, I can cook myself a nice meal. Once I get this done, I could finally send it to my boss and he would be happy. Once I get this done, I could call my mom. You know what? Whatever is important to you at that given moment, look through that prism of those values because we need to change perception first because if you if you stimulate pain centers um, related to that task a your performance will be worse b you would be not enjoying that and c it would take much much longer for you to get it done so once you kind of write down as many things as you could think of i like to you know suggest people writing down 50 benefits now a lot of people say gabby you're crazy it's too many so start with 20 right but the, the more you write down, the better. We'll see the point in doing it. Now, second thing is breaking the task down. What exactly do you need to do? And kind of break it down. So first, maybe write introduction. Second, read this article relevant for the other part. Third, doing this. So each part should be maximum 30 to 40 minutes long to complete. If you break it down in those steps, Then there is a technique called Pomodoro technique, which could help to complete the task where you actually set the timer. And during that time, you can only work on that task. You can't check the emails. You can't, you know, like uh, do anything else. And after you complete it, let's, let's say you work in 25 minutes chunks. So for 25 minutes, you set the timer, just work on that task, on that specific aspect of the task. Once you complete it, take five to 10 minutes break and do whatever you like in that break. And then do another chunk and so on. So then what actually coming back to dopamine, just completing that time 
focusing on the task secretes dopamine. It creates a sense of accomplishment, right? And here it's quite important that we focus on the time we spend working on the task by really focusing on them working on the task, as opposed to how much we got done. Because different times, different days, we kind of can produce different amounts of work. So we shouldn't really stress about it. We should, you know, it's kind of, it really helps to just focus on something what's in our control, which is focusing on the task. In your book, you talk about aligning tasks overall um, to your intrinsic sort of values. Um, is it okay if you can explain a bit about that and how it works neurologically? Yeah, so that's that that can be a big uh, game changer for people. So in order to do that, you first need to understand what your true values are. So look at what things keep on sort of distracting you, what things naturally draw you uh, to spend time doing, what things you always find money, time, energy for. So for me, I know it's my daughter, Emilia, my relationship with my, my husband, Matthew, and my work. Uh, so my seminars, my book, my coaching, and my lecturing at university, these are top three values for me. Um, and I always find time, energy, money, and everything for those three things. Now, some other things like... Um, Understanding politics probably are quite low. Now, some people say, oh, you should, you should understand that. But intrinsically for me, it's not very important. However, if somebody asked me, Gabia, could you write a report, let's say, on how Brexit is going to affect mental well-being of people? Right? So that's quite a political topic. But given that my work and actually my daughter, my husband and my work, they're kind of score very similar amounts. So they're equally, almost like share first three places. So my work comes really, really high. And what in my work is important to me is actually truly helping people to understand themselves. So in that politically sort of flavored article, it's very, you know, I could see how that would help me with my work to help people to understand themselves. And then I might actually, given that it it links to my one of top three values, I might write down how it would benefit, you know, my my daughter, my husband, my clients, my book sales, my all, I kind of write down all the things which are high on my list, how this article would benefit me. And once I stack up those benefits linked to my true values, then I would be much more motivated to do the research needed on Brexit in order, right, to actually write a good article on that. So it's kind of changing the perspective, but from actually much kind of a deeper sense, it requires first understanding what things truly are meaningful to you, then what this task, you know, involves and how to bridge those two things together. What what happens in the brain when you do link a a task you don't want to do and... uh, a value that you do agree with? Well, it just changes, you know, whether you stimulate reward centers or pain centers in the brain. When we resent something, we naturally stimulate pain centers, which when we do that, not only it, it kind of changes our emotional state, but also it changes the blood flow to different regions of the brain. So when we stimulate pain centers, it naturally triggers so-called sympathetic nervous system in our brain and body. And sympathetic nervous system being designed evolutionary for us to escape the predators, really. 
So your, your kind of really primitive centers of the brain, grouped in the mammal and reptilian brain areas, according to the Troon brain model, they don't know the difference if you're actually running away from a bear or if you're like writing, you know, the report on Brexit. So, so what you what we need to do, we need to kind of sort of educate those primitive centers. Um, now, when we stimulate the, when we actually stimulate that those pain centers and sympathetic nervous system is released, blood flow is changed. Then blood and energy is, is prioritized for your muscles, for your kind of limbs, so you could either run away or fight the predator, and. Uh, the blood vessels in the smartest centers of the brain called prefrontal cortex are contracted. So actually the, the smartest cognitive centers don't get as much glucose and oxygen, so they can't function optimally. Now, in contrast, when we stimulate uh, the reward system of the brain, it naturally triggers rest and digest or parasympathetic nervous system, which is crucial for us to uh, learn to be creative, to be empathic, to understand other people's way of being, and for brain plasticity to, to be taking place. So in that state, we actually can, our performance is greatly enhanced, and we can get much more done, but also in those prefrontal cortex is a crucial center also for personality. So when we do those tasks, which are linked to our highest values, we feel like it's part of who we are. So we kind of link to our identity almost, which then, you know, needless to say, we, we, we tend to go an extra mile when that happens. I could do that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. Of course, if you have low motivation, that can lead to procrastination. Um, for not um, From a neurological point of view, what actually is procrastination? Well, procrastination is quite a lot of different things altogether. It doesn't necessarily require low motivation to procrastinate. So different things could trigger procrastination. One could be, of course, if you don't see a point in the task, you're more likely to procrastinate. But also, for some people, the task is so important that they feel overwhelmed. They feel, okay, if I... Like, I, I talk to many people after I, I uh, published my book, People say, oh, wow, you're so brave to publish the book. And when we got to talk to them, it seems to them writing and publishing book is so important that they're never going to do it because uh, they, it overwhelms them. The idea of actually getting the work done and getting yourself in such a vulnerable position of sharing your information, it's almost like opening your heart to the world, right? It seems just too exposing. So it triggers certain emotionals, emotional uh, state that they want to avoid. And a lot of times in procrastination is emotional component to it. But it could be different triggers for different people. For some people, it could be being overwhelmed by the task. The task seems just so big and, you know, it would take so long to complete it that they put the delay even starting it because it's just overwhelmingly large task. For other people, they fear rejection, they fear criticism, they fear some, some other kind of judgment on their work so they can procrastinate with the task. For other people, it's boredomness. They might not, it might not be the task that they are interested in or enjoying. So there's multiple triggers. So whenever we procrastinate, what I suggest asking, what happened right before you started procrastinating? In other words, what's the trigger? 
Is it certain emotion? And if so, what's the emotion? Uh, is it... Um, and then based on that, when you identify the trigger, solution would be different depending on what's the trigger. Okay. So if you are procrastinating, I take it you're not really activating these reward centers in the brain? Well, you might be actually. So it's, it's kind of, it's a bit tricky with those complex behaviors. We can't quite put the, the you know, specific um, brain regions and brain chemistry to it. It just would be oversimplification. Uh, but sometimes people trigger loads of re- actually reward in procrastination. So imagine instead of uh, doing, let's say, accounting, you might be watching some sort of funny movies on YouTube your trigger reward centers might be even more, right? So a lot of times we choose to procrastinate with with tasks that are quite uh, efficient at triggering reward. So those things like um, TikTok, YouTube videos, uh, games on the phone, they're they're so clever in the way they're done that they trigger huge amounts of dopamine. And therefore, we do them. You know, the, like if you look at TikTok, there's no point of doing it. But because it triggers dopamine, it feels pleasant, it feels addictive, and we keep on doing it. But doing accounting won't give the same amount of immediate reward, immediate amount of dopamine. Therefore, it requires willpower and long-term vision to do it. So there kind of there is different things can secrete dopamine. So it doesn't necessarily mean that when we procrastinate, we don't get dopamine. We just might get dopamine from different things than the task it's we procrastinating over. Okay, so if you are in like a YouTube hole and you've been watching funny cat videos for like 15 minutes, how do you get the motivation to go back to do your work? I would suggest to sort of um, a little bit train yourself so to using Pomodoro technique I mentioned, and I discuss more in my book, um, work for, let's say, 25 minutes, set the timer, and only if you focus on the task for 25 minutes, give yourself five to 10 minutes break to watch YouTube videos. Set the timer. Once it's over, you have to stop. Then another 25 minutes of work, only if, you focused on that task for that period of time, you can allow yourself to do to watch those videos. So it's a little bit using it as a reward rather than as a kind of the overall activity. What would you say to somebody who's feeling um, like they have a lot of low motivation at the moment and they're listening to this podcast instead of working? That's a good way to procrastinate. That's what I would say. <laughs> it's called meta-procrastination and procrastinating, listening about procrastination. Um, okay, well, that's fine. You listen to this podcast. Now take a piece of paper. I'm like a strict teacher. Take a piece of paper and write down what is one thing that would be really meaningful for me to get done today. It has to be a small thing. It could be like, oh, I need to send this email to somebody or I'll do my work for five minutes. Okay, it's still better than no, right? Uh, And write write down what that one thing that comes to your mind. Once the podcast is over, 
close the laptop, set your timer for 25 minutes and work on that task. It could be different time, by the way. If your goal was to, to you know, do push-ups for five minutes, then set for five minutes. doesn't matter, but set the timer. Once the task is up, do something pleasant again. And look into the Pomodoro technique. It's for a lot of people, it really helps to take the emotional component of the performance. And that generally helps to unstuck. But asking yourself, what is the most important task for me to get done today? Can help us to be in that proactive mode where we feel like, you know, we aren't victims of what the tasks were given. We actually, you chose the job you're at. You can leave any time. I mean, of course, we all need money. So you're still getting something out of it. So kind of getting into that proactive mindset would help you, A, to get more done, but B, to enjoy your work a bit more. And just kind of tweaking your working working uh, day in a way that actually it is more like who you are would help you as well to enjoy it more and get more done. So bringing yourself into your work, into your relationships, into your homeschooling your kids, into your time you spend, you know, with with your loved ones, into the meals you cook, will help you to, A, have healthier activation of your reward system, and ultimately would not only increase your motivation, but would increase your inspiration, which is a kind of ultimately longer term, much, much kind of um, more well-suited to you who you are type of motivation. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Science Focus podcast. The February issue of BBC Science Focus magazine is out now. In this issue, we explore the baffling science of dark boson stars. Dr. Michael Mosley shares a top tip to boost your sleep. And as always, our panel of experts answer your questions. There's much more inside and on sciencefocus.com. Thank you for listening to the Science Focus podcast from the BBC Science Focus magazine team. We're the UK's best-selling Science and Technology Monthly, available in print and in several digital formats throughout the world. Find out more at sciencefocus.com or look out for us in your app store.